how many can truthfully say those choruses, first time you ever heard them? Some of them? Huh? Okay. Well, that's good. This, I think I need to pull a, a Dr. Robertson here. We, we need a little chorus booklet made up. That's what, we, with these words, that would probably help us all to learn those. Okay. I mean, I've heard them all. I know, I know every one of them, but, uh, <laughs> but if you haven't heard them, I guess that's, uh, that's, uh, New to me. That's uh, interesting. That's some good things. And I hope when you hear things like that and you, and you, you sing, you, you engage your heart in worship when you're singing those choruses. That's what they're for. And we need to learn to do that and to be, I mean, really what we're going to be talking about today has a little bit to do with that in that we, we think about what we're doing. We don't just come and disengage our heart and we just mouth the words and sing the songs you know with with no meaning there but it's to bring us to worship okay um let's turn to matthew chapter 6 this morning matthew chapter 6 we are in a new section the lord has been taking us through some you have heard it said but i say unto you now we're into a new era, area here in chapter 6. Chapter 6 um, is dealing with um, a, re- a really re- interesting thing here. It's, it's all in practice, how we live out and practice our life before the Lord as disciples of the coming announced king. And how we live in light of that and in view of that. So that means those of us who have received the gospel, we've accepted what the Lord said concerning his good news, his gospel, and received it and acknowledged that he is Lord, he is master. Then we are to submit ourselves to our Lord and live in accordance with the way He's directed us and told us to live. And the first thing we looked at last week was in the area of giving, or the scriptures here call it alms. And we noted in verse 1 of chapter 6, there it says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men. And that word alms in some of your Bibles will have the word righteousness. And that's a question of manuscripts there. About half of them have the word righteousness. About half of them have the word alms. Well, the idea behind it is your almsgiving, your alms deeds, or your righteous deeds. The acts that you perform in righteousness is the topic. And it affects three areas. The actual giving, how we conduct and handle our finances. And then a section that we're going to address today, which is prayer. And then the following section on fasting. And it's interesting here that each of these, the Lord assumes that we're doing them or that we will do them. And so all of these affect these three areas. And of course, we noted then also that the giving affects what we do for others. That's those about us, whether it's within the assembly, in the body of Christ, 
whether it's towards those without. It's doing your, others actually have the translation there, your deeds of kindness. When you do your kindness or your acts of charity towards others, And then praying, of course, has an affection towards God. So that's Godward. And then fasting has to do with us, has to do with self. Fasting is something that we do with respect to ourselves. So giving. And we saw there some principles laid down that are actually applicable to all three of these. And one of these, he says, concerns reward. Each one of these has this phrase at the end of it, Thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And so it's important to take note of these things because reward is in view. It is affected here. Now, in verse 5, He says, when you pray, and that's what I've really titled this message here this morning, when you pray, but I've got the word you on my notes here in quotation marks, when you pray, and it's assumed that we will pray. And he says there, when you pray, he says, thou shalt not be. Now he starts off with a negative. And you find this frequently. You know, there's a lot of negative topics dealt with in Scripture. And they serve as warnings to us. But the Lord generally doesn't stop there. He always then brings in the truth, the positive. So when you pray, he says, do not. So don't do this when you pray. And he says, don't be as the hypocrites. Now, that was an interesting word, and we're, I think, reasonably familiar with uh, what the word hypocrite is. It's a direct transliteration from the Greek. If you were to look at the Greek letters, it would say hypocrites. The only difference you would note is where the C is, there's a K. So it's the hypocrites. It has to do with somebody who's acting in a play. It's the play actors. And I think it would do well for us to note that right off the bat, you know, Jesus is going to address the idea of messing around or playing with prayer. That it's not something to be trifled with. That it, we are addressing our Heavenly Father when we pray. Now, this assumption of prayer means that, well, by the way, he says, and when you pray, the word you there is plural. So he's addressing all of his disciples. He's addressing us as a body or as an assembly. When we pray, he's telling us, don't do as the play actors do. Those who, who do one thing when they're praying and then do something else in private. It's just like when you're watching a person on a stage or in a movie. They are play acting. You have the real person who's on the stage 
And then they're pretending, you know, to be someone else. They are acting out. And he's telling us here that there are certain ones who he labels as hypocrites, play actors, to do that very thing with the matter of prayer. And he says then, they love to pray. Well, that's an amazing thing. They love to pray. Even the hypocrites love to pray. Even those who have their hearts disengaged from God, when they pray, still love to pray. But they do it with a, uh, a, a false motive. He says they do it to be seen of men. They do it when they're standing in the synagogues. He said they do it when they're standing on the street corners. Now, in the, um, you just have to think back to the culture of the day and the activities that were going on in, in, in Jewish society when they would meet on the streets <coughs> or when they would go to the synagogues. They would stand to pray for attention. Or if they were on the street corner conducting business and if we investigated Middle Eastern culture, we find that a lot of activity and business actually took place out on the streets. Or, and it might even be taking place on a street corner, but it could be any public, public venue. And when the hour of prayer came, when it came time to pray, which the Pharisee and the other religious observers would take note of, then they would... What, he, what he's implicating here is that they would just piously stop whatever they were doing right there at the moment and begin to pray. And I guess probably the most public demonstration we have of that would be in the Muslim world today where they still do that very thing. And they stop at certain times or hours of the day to have their prayers. And it doesn't matter who they're with or what they're doing, they stop you know, turn towards Mecca and pray. Well, he says they love to pray for a reason. And he says it's to be seen of men. Of course, you have to look at the end, down towards the end of the verse to see that. They love to pray that they may be seen of men. You know, they, they look upon the honor that comes to them by those observing them so they can see their piety. Or, and, and, of course, from the Lord's view, it's a false piety. But to them, they were trying to demonstrate publicly their, their piousness because they would stop at a moment's, uh, any kind of an indication, and stop and pray. And yet it was all very cold, all very disengaged, no communion or union with the Lord Jesus Christ or with the Heavenly Father in this particular case in their prayers. And what you get implied here is that that kind of prayer is very offensive to God. It's treated very lightly. It's not something that he is welcome to. And pious words... And piety of that nature has nothing to commend us to God. Now, maybe before men it does, 
but not before God. As a matter of fact, he says there, Verily I say unto you. And we know the word verily is sometimes translated truly, or um, it might be something like, uh, you can be sure what I'm telling you is the truth. This is the state of the matter right here. They have their reward. Pious public prayers that are not directed from the heart to the throne room of heaven, to God's place where he resides, gets a person nowhere. As a matter of fact, it results in no future reward. He says they have their reward. And some of the uh, more contemporary translations say it this way, they have their reward in full. And the point being of the teaching of this passage is that they've got all they're going to get. Nothing more. What they have from the praise of men when they pray like that in public, that's it. They don't get another thing. There's no partial having our cake and eating it too that we can get the praise of men, but God still has something out there in the future for me in the day of reckoning. They have their reward, and they got it now. And it's amazing to me to think that there are those who get great satisfaction out of that. But it's true even in our churches today. And I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about in cases where you've heard people praying, and, you know, they stand up, and our Father, and all of a sudden they engage themselves in a whole other voice. It's their praying voice. I, I can't even hardly mock them, see? Oh, <laughs> you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. And then, not only do we switch over into another voice to pray, but then we gain a whole new vocabulary. As if there are certain things or certain inflections of words that will gain us standing before God or before our fellow man. So that we all, you know, we look good. Now, the bottom line of all that is, is we all have an ego and we all like to make our, you know, we all want to look good. But what looks good in the eyes of men is something else in the eyes of God. And we know that very well-known verse regarding the selection of David as a king. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. So when men pray for the public praise of men, that's all they're getting. They're getting a look on the outward appearance. Nothing <clears throat> engages on the inner part of man and the heart of man. And we tried to emphasize throughout this entire sermon that that has been the Lord's focus in everything we do. But it's so hard, sometimes it seems so very hard at least, to keep in mind what's going on in our heart. And this is where we need to be walking with a consciousness every day before the Lord and how we live out our life as a, as a, quote, kingdom disciple. As one who is looking forward to that coming day. You know, in other words, I'm trying to say that 
it's, it's, this is the most amazing thing to me. To stop and pray according to the Lord's directions here, which we're going to come to, results in reward. That's an amazing thing. You would think that, you know, doing our good deeds, I can understand, you know, almsgiving, doing, you know, giving to the poor, helping others, like the Good Samaritan, those kinds of things would result in reward. But Jesus says there in verse 6, when we enter into the closet to pray, and we've prayed the kind of prayer that does not get the praise of men, but gets the praise of God, he said, there is a reward for that. Period. So there's no reason why everyone could not be rewarded. Because we can all pray. Now, he goes on to tell us how to pray. How to be assured that we will have reward with this matter of prayer. Now, of course, we can have reward for other things as too. We can have reward for giving, helping the needy. We can have reward for fasting when we come to that subject. That's another thing altogether. But here we can have reward for prayer. And it has to do with the personal, private time that we spend with God. Not the public time in prayer, which is genuine and legitimate, but it's the private time that he's speaking of here. And so he says, but you, but thou. Now we have the second word, you. Here it's second person also, but it's singular. He's addressing it to each individual one of the disciples. So he switched from telling them as a group, don't pray like these, you know, don't don't pray like those that stand out on the street corners and in the synagogues, you know, and pray their fancy public prayers to get the praise of men. He's saying telling to the whole group, don't do that, but you individually, when you pray, in other words, to be a little facetious here, funny, he's not saying you as a group when you go in the closet. We're not all to gather together in the closet to pray. You, privately, individually, when you go in that inner chamber. Now, he's not talking about your literal closet at home. I was reading one guy, he said when he was a little boy, he took that literally. He's, all the clothes were hanging down there and his shoes were in there, but he went in the closet and shut his door and there he would pray. And then, of course, when he got a little older, he found out that wasn't exactly what the Lord was talking about. I mean, stop and think about it, folks. The majority of the world doesn't even know what a closet is. They have no such thing. Think about the people in, in, in Africa and Southeast Asia and, and those places. They have no such thing. We're not talking here about a literal closet. We're talking, and the word here, by the way, is like, like a store chamber. Just a place, and some even think that it means a place where uh, treasures are stored. Whatever the case may be, I think the idea of what Jesus is trying to teach us and tell us is that there should be a place for private prayer, personal prayer before the Lord. Now, I know that can be hard to do sometimes. 
I get frustrated because I go around, I look, and I think of all the rooms in our house, big as that house is, and I think I can't find any place in here where I can go. But yet, you know where my private, pl- pr- my private place of prayer, that's a good one, private place of prayer is? It's in, it's in the, probably the busiest room in our house. It's in the TV room, family room, we call it. It's in the room where you go out the back door, has the most traffic and everything. But what makes it so accommodating is I just go in there early in the morning when nobody else is up. And it's real nice and quiet. And I don't get disturbed. It's the best place I could find. It's got a nice little chair there. It's good and big, and I can kind of lay over that thing, and it's comfortable, and I get along just fine. But it's because I just do it at at an hour of the day when I don't have to worry about it. You know, Jesus didn't always go into a closet to pray or a private room. He went on a mountaintop. He went on the Mount of Olives sometimes to pray. He was in a garden. We don't, he's talking about finding your place where you can be alone with God. Uninterrupted. Where it's just you and him. In other words, it's a private conversation. The ones he's comparing us to here, it was a public thing for them. They were out on the street corner, in the synagogues, where there there was an assembly of people. The most important, appealing, and rewarded prayer, he says, is when it's private. A personal conversation with just you and the Lord. And this is what brings reward in that coming day. He says, he shall... Reward thee openly. The hypocrites got their reward right on the spot. They had the praise of men instantly by praying out in public. This is yet a future reward that will come to those who are obedient to his method of prayer. I wish I could say I stand here and pray with all kinds of experience and authority on the matter of prayer. But I can't do that. I always feel that this is my weakest area. I I could a hundred times over just walk over and pick up the Bible and just sit and read. You know, and and read God's word. And I've heard others give the same affirmation. What an easy thing that seems to do. Why is prayer so hard? Why is it so hard for me just to scoot off the edge of the couch there and get on my knees and pray? That takes more effort. It takes more work. And yet here we find that this is something that is so pleasing to God that when we converse with him privately, all alone, with no one else around, that he's going to reward us for it. And by the way, the word reward there is the familiar word for reward, for pay. It's the other context, it's the word for wages. He's going to pay us for personal, private, intimate prayer. Now, I don't... That's a motivation to me, right there. If God says he's willing to do that, then that's a motivator for me to pray. I don't think that he means for us, you know, that walking around the track and praying while we're exercising or praying while we're fixing supper or while we're doing that, you know, 
that thing on the job. It's just a routine thing over and over, you know, and some of those jobs we have to do. It's not talking about praying like that. He's talking about focused prayer that has our hearts and our minds set on making contact with God. And you can be assured that if we are obedient to what he's telling us here to how to pray, that he's going to hear that kind of prayer. Our heart is in tune. We're seeking to engage ourselves with our Heavenly Father. He hears those prayers. Now he tells us there, Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's another principle here. That secret, private prayer is one day going to be brought out in the open. And the reward for that kind of prayer is going to be out in the open. Some use the word, uh, your, your reward will be manifested, to be made known. Others are going to know about it. You see, the prayer is private, but the reward is public. Over here with the hypocrites, their prayer was public, and their reward was public, which is nothing. They got their praise And that's all that it was. Nothing more than that. And so when the Lord's, you know, in this sermon, when he's presenting this to and teaching his disciples about life under the king, the promised king, the promised Messiah that God said he would send, this is how we should live out our life before him as being people of prayer. Not piously in the public eye, but in the private chamber. Obedient prayer. And when we pray like that, then we know that we have the reward. Whatever that reward be, whatever those wages might be in that future day, we're going to have them. You know, we might look forward to that coming day and think, boy, I don't know how God could ever reward me. How could I ever do anything, you know, so-called important enough to merit God's looking down upon me and actually paying me for prayer? But he will. Wages. Reward for praying. I hope that rekindles or maybe even kindles in your heart a little, just even if it's just a little bit of fervency and desire to want to get in that private place on a regular occurrence and just talk to your Heavenly Father. You know, I had a hard time with that. I remember several years ago, it's been several years ago now, that I wanted to follow this path of intimacy and obedience and really talk to the Lord. And, you know, I was so used to praying this just general stuff you know, and, and it was a real breakthrough and hard to just to talk on a, like he's talking to a friend, like he's talking to your father. As, as simple as that may sound, you're talking to your heavenly father 
and just tell him what's on your heart. And that was a real breakthrough for me. And I just want to say that to encourage you that, you know, get intimate with your father and just tell him what's on your heart, how you feel about certain things, whatever it is that's bothering you, troubling you, and get close to him. That's the whole idea is that we might be close and near to his heart, our heart near to his And his heart's desire is that we would come in the private place to pray unto him. I want to touch on these next two verses, 7 and 8, because he gives us another negative here. He says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Now, we've been accustomed to that and if you've followed anything with near eastern religions that's a very common thing just do this mantra over and over and over and over and over and over and i mean sometimes they will do it hundreds of times and you know what they're trying to do just trying to block out anything that has to do with the the material world, the present world, so they can get in contact with the spiritual world. And I've mentioned this to you before, that this is coming in and sweeping in on the church like like a tsunami. I've seen it on signs in churches right around town here more than once. The common term for this, and I've brought this up several months ago, is the emergent church. And this kind of teaching, they're, they're, this, basically it's just Eastern religion teaching, is they're bringing it into the church. And the whole idea is, is they want to make contact with God. Just like, just like the, the hypocrites here, they love to pray. And they will seek to block out everything they can around them so that they can get in touch with the spirit world. Now, of course, they will tell you they're trying to get in touch with God, but all kinds of evil comes from it. And I don't want to take the time to go in that day because I don't have time. But it's a very dangerous thing. And it's the whole idea is emptying your mind, pushing everything out. And, and, you know, we find that, I find that so very hard. Have you ever tried, when you are a kid, did you try to do that? Just try to stop and not think about anything? <laughs> you know, the very first thing, the moment your eyes open in the morning, you're thinking about something, aren't you? I mean, it, it's a never-ending thing. But the goal that they have in whatever terminology you use, uh, the most common one being emergent church, or the new spirituality, or whatever it might be, it is that they will block these things out so they can make contact with God. And they go outside the bounds of Scripture to do it. And that is being brought, that teaching is being brought into the church. One of the most common ways that you'll find this done is through yoga and Eastern religion. Bringing it into the church as a means of meditation so that theoretically you can get in touch with God. Now, there's not a thing in Scripture here about yoga. 
and practicing those kinds of things. He lays out a very simple, simple thing for us to do. Just get in your private prayer place and you address the Lord and you engage your heart with him. You don't disengage your mind when you pray. When it comes to meeting up with God, you can't go into some mindless state out here where you're just kind of like, you know, the yogis would want to just kind of, you know, rise up and float in this, uh, you know how, that's not the, you don't catch God that way. You pray with, you pray with the brain, you think, and you pray according to what the precept he's given us, not with vain repetitions. That word vain repetitions, all it means, it means to parrot words that have no valid expression from our heart. So to say a word in prayer that does not come from the heart, God says is a vain repetition. And he says you don't pray like that. You're not engaged with God. You haven't met him in the throne room of heaven when you pray that way. So just to get through a prayer doesn't cut it. It's t- he's talking about a real, genuine, meaningful approach to wanting to talk to God, your father. And then he goes on to say, as the heathen, the pagans do. That's the way they do it. That's the negative side. He says they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So long, flowery, repetitive prayers, you know, don't make it either. Verse 8, he says, "Be Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. You know, when you come to the Lord in prayer, he knows why you're there. He knows what's on our hearts. And doesn't that amaze you that in spite of the fact that he knows what our need is, he knows what's on our hearts, he still wants us to come into the private place and meet with him. And it's for us because we know then that if we have done according as he says here, then we know he's heard our prayer. Doesn't mean we get what we want or what we ask for, but we do know he's heard us. So when you pray, second person, singular, every one of us, he expects to pray. Now that's a whole lot easier to say for me to stand here and say it than for me to stand here and do it. But do it we must. And do it with a heart that desires to be in touch with God our Father. Matter of fact, in Hebrews, he says when we have a need, Hebrews 4, he says, you can go instantaneously to the throne of grace. And just like that, he's there to help in time of need. Not a moment too late. He hears us instantly when we come to him in that kind of manner. And when we do that, when we do it, there's a reward. I, can, I just can't, it's hard for me to comprehend that. That when we pray, there's going to be a reward. If we do nothing else, when we pray, in that coming day, when we meet before him, we're going to have a reward for that. 
I pray that we'll be motivated and moved, inspired, and, and have a fervency or a fire, desire, whatever you want to call it, to want to get into that private place and, and meet with the Lord. It's re-energized me, and I'm going to tell you right now, I needed it. I needed to be re-energized myself to pray. I've, I've got this little collection of books on prayer. It's not real huge, but, you know, maybe this big, 7, 8, 10, 12 books, something like that. I don't remember what it is. And I just keep thinking someday, someday I'm going to preach on prayer. But I keep putting it off because I don't feel like I'm ready yet. And I don't, if I keep that attitude, I don't know if I ever will be ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to just do it, just like I'm right here, just like what the Lord says. You just got to do it and pray, and he will hear, and he will reward. I cannot bear the thought of being like the hypocrite or those with their vain repetitions who have their reward right there on the spot. They have it in the full. I want to be as those who are willing to look forward ahead to that which is to come so that the Lord might reward me in that day and he might reward me just for praying. Let's pray. Again. Our Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for the whole idea and manner of prayer. And Lord, we want to, first of all, just express our gratitude to you that you are not so far from us that you don't want to hear from us. That you have made the way possible through the death of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ the way would be open to address the throne of God. And I pray, Father, that we would be very conscious of that each time we pray, that we would know that we are talking to our Heavenly Father, that you are there willing and ready to listen, and how repulsed you are by hearts that are disengaged with you, and there's no connection and yet, lofty words flow forth. And repetitive words that are meaningless to us. It's just that we've become so accustomed to them over the years. God, deliver us from such things. Come and work in our hearts this morning. Change us that we might be renewed in this whole area of a daily walk with you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.